Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies, especially now because it is October! Yay! It's exciting stuff. I am one of your hosts, Miss Malmoy. I'm the other host, Mr. Craigers. Yes, he is. And we are coming at you with episode 70. I feel like that's more of a milestone than we should have. Ah, whatever. Episode 70, yay! We've got 70 episodes. It's a cool episode. Yeah. It's a little, <laughs> yes, it's going to be a fun episode. Uh, episode 70. The first one of our, of our, well, not the first one of our spooky season, but the first one of our calendar spooky season, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because October never dies. So it's because October never season. dies. And for right now, it is October to the rest of the world. And here we are. Um, Mr. Kregers has uh, pitched, successfully pitched a pretty interesting episode topic uh, that we're going to bring at you today <clears throat> before the impeachment stuff kind of, you know, railed all other possible news. There was a developing story out in, I want to say it was a state that started with an I. Indiana. Yeah. Ha. <laughs> Indiana. Um, about a couple who, a lot went on, but short <laughs> version of this before we dive into it in a little bit is um, they abandoned their adoptive daughter claiming that she was actually a uh, psychopath adult masquerading as a child. To which many people were like, I've, I've seen that movie. Mm. I've definitely seen that movie. <laughs> so today we're going to be discussing that real life headline and uh, obviously using it as an excuse to talk about 2009's Orphan starring our favorite person, Ugh. Vera Farmiga. Ugh. Yes. <clears throat> Such a goddess. No, it's very exciting. Uh, but before we do that and dive into that, we're going to do some horror headlines now that it's the month of October. Sure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What have you got going on over near your neck of the woods? I feel like like it's like what am I do I not have going on? Oh. Right? Ooh, good you start. I mean, obviously the thirty one by thirty one challenge is going on, so I'm mm -hmm. watching a lot of uh horror movies for that so that I can review them uh properly for the first time. Um I've also just started reviewing horror movies for um killer movie critic, killer horror critic. Ooh, nice, nice. Um, yeah, so I've been getting some screeners for some upcoming stuff that, uh, I've been watching and, and talking about over there. Um, I'm also, I've finally gotten around to watching What We Do in the Shadows, uh, TV show. <clears throat> that popped up on my Hulu earlier today. It is so fucking funny. If you've seen the movie and you love it and you were nervous about watching the show, don't be. It's amazing and it's absolutely cracking me up highly recommend also highly recommend if you haven't seen the movie what we do in the shadows see that and mm -hmm. then go watch the show um 10 episodes only so far they've had one season i think they're coming back next year um i'm listening to a cool spooky podcast called haunted places Ooh. yeah they're doing an urban legend series in october so every day they have a new episode where they're looking at an urban legend and telling the story and it's all very creepy with eerie narration and sound effects. Mm -hmm. And then kind of at the end of the episode, they talk about real life. Like where was the legend born? What did this come out of? Are there any real life examples? So sort of like very like killer legendsy as a podcast, okay. which, is, which is fun. And, um, and, and, and what else? Um, um, yeah, I feel like I'm just 
reading and watching and yes. writing and consuming yes. everything. of it. Well, and the weather helps too. I mean, I don't know about DC, but today was chilly. Weather's turned. It's finally chilly. It's, it's hopefully it stays that way. Um, oh, I'm reading small spaces. That's what I'm reading Ooh, right now. Yeah. It's a creepy middle grade book about scarecrows. Um, <laughs> I saw a scarecrow today in one of those like urban gardens, <clears throat> which I think was mostly decorative. But then sure. I thought to myself, I want kind of the um, case study on whether or not scarecrows are actually effective. <laughs> I thought to myself, do they actually work? I feel like these days, I don't know. I don't live on a farm. Yeah. but uh, Farmers, get at us. Yeah. Please let us know. They're certainly creepy enough. Um, let's see what else. So that's kind of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, lots of spooky things are coming out. We've got Zombieland Double Tap coming out next week. Yes. And um, if you haven't yet, you should check out our, our recap of Zombieland with Matt Shore. Yes, you should. That's a good way to prep for the film. Um, Halloween Kills started filming a couple weeks ago. Yes. Jamie Lee Curtis is on set now. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't sure if she was when... Uh, first day of filming but it's that confirmation that she's there um yeah and you know lots of people are just doing their countdowns and marathons uh 31 days of halloween is going on with freeform i think fear fest has started mm-hmm. um <clears throat> yeah i'm uh i've been looking at <clears throat> spooky <throat> cocktail ideas for when miss mel comes to visit me next yeah. weekend for our little spook weekend We're which I'm oh, sorry. S- no, no. I am just so excited to give you your your belated birthday spook gift. <laughs> all of your friends, and by all of your friends, I mean all of our mutual friends. I have shown it to because <laughs> I was so proud of it. So everyone knows, kind of thing. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Speaking of awesome spook gifts, mm-hmm. um, and things that you have given me, <laughs> uh, my plan is after small spaces is to read hex yes and to then read harvest home oh yes exciting which is uh for those of you that don't know the novel that the miniseries the dark secret of harvest home is based on miss mel and i covered that movie about a year ago grace Abedin calls the blight calls the blight and you should go check out that episode yes you should and all episodes but check out that so that's all that I can think of off the top of my head for mm-hmm. horror headlines. I feel like I told myself that I would keep a better list for all the spooky things I've been up to, mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard because I feel like my days are just packed with spooky stuff from dawn till dusk. Dawn till dusk. Nice. Yes. No, I, um, that's, I very much have been like, I want to do every, um, you know, I was like, is there a spooky thing happening? I'm there. Next. So <clears throat> what have I done? Well, I opened my Google Calendar to find out. First of all, I started actually in on my um, like fall reading. And yeah. I told myself this year I was going to read more stuff that I've been meaning to read for a while. So um, I did Turn of the Screw, which I've been meaning to read. I did Carrie. That was like the first one I did, which I bought in Maine. Um, I am reading a book on loan from Mr. Kreger's, A Season with the Witch. Yeah. Uh, about a travel writer who spends October living in Salem, Massachusetts. Shout out to J.W. Ocker. Yes. Very, very good stuff so far. Very interesting. Um, and my girlfriend is from Boston, so every time something pops up, I'm like, did you know about this? And if you did, why haven't you told me? Yes. 
Um, <clears throat> most of the stuff she doesn't know about. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so there's that. Um, I've been reading a lot of, like, uh, PDFs, because, you know, the free online, like, Lovecraft stuff. Been digging more into weird fiction I've been trying to get into, which is also kind of part of the sort of New England Halloween spookiness since Lovecraft. Um, yep. What actually started me on this path was they mentioned in the book the Danvers um, Asylum, which was the... Um, it's no longer standing. It is a former uh, mental institution of Danvers, Massachusetts, which is just outside Salem, which was formerly known as Salem Village, uh, which was like the backwoods of Salem Town, which mm. is modern-day Salem. A little bit confusing, but this uh, mental institution um, was the uh, inspiration for Arkham, for Lovecraft. So that got me kind of down a, a, a little rabbit hole. It's been a fun rabbit hole. So I've been doing yeah. that. Um, I went to Glow in Fairmount Park last Saturday, which is this fun, like, family-friendly um, pumpkin, like, walkthrough. And it's, like, insane, artfully carved sculptures made out of jack-o'-lanterns. There was a lighthouse made out of jack-o'-lanterns. There was a whole, like, prehistoric scene. There was, of course, a gritty... Um, there was various things. Like, then every year they have a different theme. Like, they'll have pirate ships and stuff. It's a lot of fun. They did not have hot apple cider or hot chocolate. Ah. They had booze, but not okay. warm booze. <laughs> mm. uh, and you, when you walk out, you walk through a pumpkin patch and you can get a pumpkin on your way out. It's pretty nice. That's nice. Yes, I did that um, last Monday. And by last Monday, I mean two days ago. <laughs> um, I went to um, a... Um, it's called The Moth, for those of you who listen to that podcast or pay attention to it at all. It's basically a live story slam. They're given a theme, and people get up and tell five-minute stories, true stories. And the theme was spooky. Um, and there were some pretty fun stories. Um, I think my favorite was the one the woman got up, and she told it very well, um, like, the way, the order in which she told things. But basically what had happened was, is that on Friday the 13th, she decided it would be fun to go into a graveyard with a Ouija board and just see what happens and that weekend she uh what happened to her she um walked up to somebody and tried to hit on them while they were on a date and didn't realize it she uh, ran into her ex and her ex's new partner very randomly at a concert because they were staying at an Airbnb where the concert was being held and then she went hiking and like almost fell off a cliff <laughs> So that was a pretty fun story. Um, she had a pretty unlucky day. Yeah, she had an unlucky weekend. She actually said she went back to ask forgiveness in the cemetery where this had happened because she was like, fuck. Um, and another, another fun story was this guy who was on Hatteras Island in the Outer Banks who was trying to tell a scary story and like couldn't get it out because he had relatives who were just talking over him and he got so pissed and he walked away. And he was walking past all these people in old Victorian costumes and stuff. And he was like, oh, my God, like, are, like, am I seeing ghosts? And it turned out he stumbled on, like, a themed wedding. It was it was very good. <laughs> anyway, so I did that. Um, this that, weekend. That reminds me. Sorry. No, go Just, like, the quickest yeah. sidebar. Go for it. For people that like that kind of stuff, uh, the podcast Spooked is back for their third season, which is basically just basically what Miss Mill described. It's people telling true spooky stories. Nice. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. So did that this weekend. I am going to, um, there's a fall festival in the city, in Center City. Um, I'm going to an Oktoberfest out in that village that I took you to a couple times. They have their little fall Oktoberfest. And then Saturday, there is um, a lesbian feminist haunted house interactive art installation in Fishtown, and I'm jazzed for it. Fishtown! Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm jazzed. So we're going to do that. Um, and there's a couple of Halloween pop-up bars in the city <clears throat> that I'm going to, to peruse. Um, and then, yes, we'll be hanging out in D.C. with Mr. Craigers next week. We've got some fun stuff planned for that. Um, and the weekend after that is getting close to Halloween. It's not quite Halloween. Where is it? Yeah, it's no, it's not. because Halloween is a Thursday. It's like when everyone's going to celebrate and party for Halloween. Yeah. And then, um, that, that, that Saturday is the 26th. Oh, you know what? I do have that, I do have a thing that weekend. I have Haverween, which is like this whole alumni festival they have at Charlotte's um, College for their ultimate Frisbee people. They throw a Halloween party and people wear costumes and such. That sounds fun. Yeah. So we've got all this. We've got so many things. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. Um, as there should be. Yes. Oh, and I also bought myself, because one day I went to work from home, and by work from home I mean work in a bookstore, because I didn't want to work from home, but I didn't want to go to work. So I was working from a bookstore, and <clears throat> I limited myself in the books I bought, but I got one called Monster She Wrote, that is about um, the women behind speculative and horror fiction. I've seen that floating yeah. around. Yeah. Literally floating like a ghost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what we're up to. Yeah. Let us know what you're up to in the uh, the social media as we drop in your ears at the end of this podcast. Yeah. We want to know what your spooky season is like. Also, uh, pictures of decorations. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, I love seeing that kind of stuff. What have you done with your house or your apartment or in your yard? Like, I think that would be cool. Lay it on us. Mm-hmm. But first... We will lay on you uh, a little splatterer chatterer. The ultimate horror headline. Yes. About, yeah, right? Uh, about, about some orphans. So, um, do you want to go into the news segment first or the movie first? Let's do, let's do the... Wait. I don't know. Let's yeah, do the news segment first. Chatter, everybody. Yeah, so let's do the news segment first. Let's okay. give you the what's what, and then for those of you who... Want to maybe pause and watch a little orphan or don't know much about it can do that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So, um, start us off, Mr. Cargers. What the hell is going on? Okay. So, first of all, what the actual fuck? <laughs> of all the movies you thought, this can't possibly be real. Of all the movies that you thought, this is fun, but it, this would never actually happen. Orphan is up there mm-hmm. in that category. You would be wrong to think that. From here on out. So, Miss Mel kind of gave a teaser of, you know, what this story is. So, I've pulled some, inf- like, information from the New York Post, the Washington Post, the Daily Mail, L Online, and then an article that was released today that seems to be the most up-to-date from The Cut. Yes. And it takes all these to put together a cohesive story. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of what I was really looking for, because I was like, where is, like, the flow chart of all of this information? Yes. So, 
Um, do you actually do you have that article up? Actually, I have the, the one case. that I have is the one from um, the New Yorker. Okay, as long as or the have, New York Magazine rather. Okay, as long as we have something up, so we can like keep ourselves in check. Yeah. So, um, so those are the sources where you can kind of find and do your own infor- own research if you want to. Um, also, another thing just to say is that this is all alleged. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth and it can get kind of confusing. And to my knowledge, nobody has heard Natalia's side of the story. We don't publicly, we don't know where she is. She is yeah. living with another family right now, but we don't. Apparently, well, we'll get into that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to say, to maybe, to maybe keep that in mind, there's a major player in this story who we don't know what, what their perspective on the matter is. Yeah. So. That being said, um, this story, the story of Natalia Grace and the Barnett family broke on back on September 11th. So a month ago uh, today, as of the drop date of this episode, um, about a couple living in Lafayette, Indiana, um, and the daughter that they adopted and eventually left there before absconding to Canada. (laughs) So... Christine and Michael Barnett uh, lived in West Indiana, where um, in the uh, early 2010s, they were running a successful daycare. They had two sons. One of their sons, Jake, uh, has autism. Um, And when that kind of became established, uh, Christine started homeschooling him. And it became apparent that he was very uh, intelligent and very talented, Um, to the point where he is considered a prodigy. Um, He wrote and published an academic paper when he was 12. Uh, He was featured on 2020 and 60 Minutes. And I think when he was 14 or 15, he went to Purdue to study physics. Um, So... So all of that's going on and is something important to keep in mind. Now, Christine uh, eventually at one point found out she couldn't have any more children, but she and Michael wanted more. So they started looking into adoption as an option. And in May of 2010, they adopted uh, a Ukrainian child by the name of Natalia. Natalia Grace, I think was her middle name. Uh, the adoption was arranged and conducted in Florida. Um, of course so it was. of course it was. So the Barnett's flew down there. It was a fairly quick adoption. From what I understand, there were like emergency or like, or Natalia was classified as like crisis circumstances, something like that, mm-hmm. where they were essentially able to adopt her far quicker than the normal process works. From what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the Barnett's go down to Florida, they hang out in Florida for a little bit in order to sort of give Natalia time to get acclimated to the family. And they do fun things. They go to Disney World and they go out to um, to eat and just mini golfing and things to get to know each other. Um, according to Natalia's papers, she was supposedly born on September 4th, 2003 in the Ukraine she was given up by her birth parents for an undisclosed reason. Um, it's also in her records that she has a birth defect that causes um, some skeletal abnormalities. Um, 
I, one of the articles like had the actual name of what <clears throat> yes, is. the type of dwarfism. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a type of type of dwarfism. Um, so in this beginning period, uh, Christine reports now that Natalia was very shy. She was nervous, and that because of her um, skeletal defect and the the type of dwarfism, she had a lot of trouble walking, which didn't put the Barnett's off or anything like that. So at one point they take the family to the beach and while uh, Christine and Michael are getting things set up, you know, the blankets and the chairs and the umbrella, the boys run down to the water and, you know, Natalia's on the blanket cause she needs help getting down there. And they say, Oh, we'll take you down to the water in a second. We're just going to finish setting up. And then Natalia jumps up and sprints down to the water on her own. <laughs> so this startles the Barnets, yeah. as you might imagine. <laughs> and it's sort of the first red flag of their relationship with their new adopted daughter. So then things start to get a little weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, during bath time, Christine discovers that Natalia appears to be physically an adult, or if not an adult, at least a teenager. Meaning, she cites that she noticed that Natalia had fully grown pubic hair. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she's like, huh. So... That, combined with some other instances, um, finding bloody clothes that Natalia was trying to hide, suggesting that she may have been menstruating, and uh, Natalia's penchant for not really wanting to play with toys, um, uncover- finding her smoking one day, leads Christine to believe that Natalia is actually a teenager. So she starts she and Michael start treating Natalia as if she were a teenager rather than an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. Then Natalia's behavior starts to escalate even further. According to Christine Barnett, she starts jumping from moving cars, smearing blood on the windows in the house, uh, generally demonstrating uh, aggressive, not quite violent behavior, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, antagonistic behavior towards her adopted family. Now, I feel like we've all known precocious children, right? Yes. (laughs) Children that sort of have old souls that we like to say or behave as if they're older than they are, but there's a precocious child versus literally not being a child. And so that's the question that starts coming up here. There's also weird instances where, um, The Barnetts invite over some family friends that speak Ukrainian and Natalia can't understand them at all. She doesn't actually know any Ukrainian. Um, So despite all these weird things that are going on and despite Christine being pretty damn sure that Natalia is not eight. This is like an Anna Anderson situation. Yeah. She, Christine says that it didn't really matter to her. She loved Natalia. She wanted to keep her in the family and, and it was whatever. So, flash forward to late 2010. 
The family submits Talia for, um, to the family physician to do some bone tests. The tests come back and supposedly confirm that Natalia was not eight or six or however old she was supposed to be, but yeah. she, she was at least 14. So this kind of solidifies uh, Christine Michael's decision to, to have been treating Natalia as a teenager because, hey, mm-hmm. the test says it. Now, at this point, Natalia's behavior starts to escalate even further. According to Christine, Natalia uh, started making death threats against the family. Uh, She mentioned that she was hearing voices. She attacked a baby. She was drawing pictures of her murdering the family and rolling the bodies up in blankets. Uh, Family members would wake up in the night with, to see Natalia holding a knife over their beds. Um, Christine once caught Natalia putting bleach into her coffee. And uh, apparently it all culminated with Natalia attempting to push Christine into an electric fence. (laughs) Okay. That's That's where it culminates. Right, that's where it culminates. And so after the electric fence incident, which happened in 2012, the family tries to have uh, Natalia see a psychiatrist, but apparently that only exacerbated her behavior even more. So Natalia had to be committed to an actual psychiatric uh, institution. And in the psychiatric hospital, Natalia admits to, I believe it was a nurse, I don't know if it was any of her like actual physicians or doctors, but she admits to someone on staff that she's 18. Now, supposedly this staff person has gone on record and given a statement about this conversation with Natalia, but that hasn't been released to the Mm -hmm. press by now. So that may just be hearsay. You know, again, this is, this is Christine's side of the story. This is the Barnett's telling us all this. So uh, we want to keep this in mind. Um, While Natalia's institutionalized, Andrew McLaren, who is the family doctor, um, goes on record stating that the birth, Natalia's birth certificate is inaccurate and that she is a grown woman masquerading as a child. And they know this from the bone tests as well as looking at her teeth, um, which are... Dental records. Well, that, and that comes up in the movie Orphan as to why she right. doesn't want to go to the dentist. Um, and so this evidence is presented to a judge and a judge orders that Natalia's birth certificate be altered um, so that Natalia is uh, legally recorded as having been born in 1989, which jumps Natalia's age from the time from 8 to 22. Um, as Natalia continues to stay in the psychiatric institute, uh, she supposedly discloses to other staff members uh, various attempts to kill the family, uh, the Barnett family members, and um, describes those attempts as having been fun. Um, but eventually, uh, Natalia, uh, reaches a point, or I guess, I think maybe my apologies. It's after the legal change of her birth certificate, where she goes from being a minor to an adult that Natalia is released from the psychiatric institution. I guess it was a juvenile Mm -hmm. institution. And so the Barnett's help her find an apartment, uh, where Natalia is sort of under their care, but also, I guess, under the care of the state. Uh, Christine Barnett says that they help her get a social security number. They help get her on food stamps and they help get her a government issued ID, um, to help get her back on her feet. But 
Natalia's behavior hasn't changed all that much, and she ends up getting evicted from this apartment. But the Barnetts help her find a second apartment. Uh, Christine signs her up to start taking some classes. Um, she pays her rent in advance, helps her get groceries, buy furniture from Target. According to Christine, she continues to act as mom uh, throughout this entire situation in the way that she would help, you know, like a child going to college or getting on their feet, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2013, Christine Barnett publishes a book called The Spark, A Mother's Story of Nurturing Genius in Autism. Um, sort of her trials and tribulations and journey to self-discovery and raising her son, Jake. The book ends up being very critically acclaimed. Um, and uh, around this point, the Barnetts are supposedly fairly confident in Natalia's ability to care for herself. So they move to Canada um, so Jake can attend a, a school up there that's, I, I guess, related to his study of physics. And they leave Natalia in, uh, uh, in Lafayette in an apartment because they feel that she can take care of herself mm -hmm. at, <clears throat> at this point. Um, but she really can't. <laughs> uh, now Christine Barnett says that after this point, Natalia cuts off communication completely with the family and christine suspects that natalia has gone on to con another family um her suspicions she says are confirmed when the barnett's receive a letter stating that michael is no longer the beneficiary of natalia's social security um, and they believe that's because she has found another another family so in 2014 michael and christine barnett get divorced uh, Michael remarries and moves back to Indiana. Uh, neither of the Barnetts at this point say that they have renewed contact with, uh, with Natalia. They don't know hmm. what's going on. Then we flash forward five years to September 11th, 2019, <laughs> a month ago. When an affidavit comes out saying that bone tests from uh, the Peyton Manning Hospital that were conducted in June determined that Natalia was, in fact, a child in 2013, which means that the Barnett's move to Canada was an illegal abandonment. And as such, the Tippecanoe County Sheriff's Office issues a warrant for the arrest of Michael and Christine Barnett. Now, Natalia allegedly spoke with authorities immediately after the abandonment took place, but police don't question Michael, who, remember, is back in Indiana, until September 5th of 2019. Hmm. We don't exactly know why that took so long. But during that questioning, we do know that Michael states that he knew Natalia was a child. But after the affidavit comes out, Almost a week later, Michael's lawyer comes back and says that Michael never said that, and the claims made in the affidavit are false. And he accuses the document of only citing the medical report that supports the abandonment claim, i.e. that Natalia was a child, but is not referencing the at least two other medical reports that state otherwise, meaning that state that Natalia was an adult. So Michael and 
Christine are taken in and eventually released on bail. They have been maintaining their innocence over the past month. Um, and the current situation, as I understand it, is that nobody can agree on how old Natalia actually is. <laughs> um, Natalia's birth mother has become involved, possibly. Yes, I did see that. And no one knows where Natalia is, but rumors, or it's been confirmed. There, so there, oh, sorry, there hasn't been an official update on Natalia's whereabouts, but the Daily Mail reports that she's living with another Indiana couple, Antoine and Cynthia Manns, and their five children. And the Manns have apparently petitioned for Natalia's original birth date to be to be put back on her birth certificate again. But, but I guess that was, it looks like that was shut down and the 1989 birth date has been upheld. The Manses haven't issued a statement to the press of any kind, but a friend of theirs has said that Natalia is in a really awkward position. <laughs> the claims that she is an adult rather than a teenager. So no one knows why the police are filing charges right now how Natalia took care of herself or really it's just fucking nuts. It is nuts. Yes. And that's the thing is that most of this is like, you have to compile a bunch of different news reports because nobody has any fucking idea. And it's interesting because somebody, I was talking to some people about this at work today and they were like, well, how can they not know? Like, how can a doctor not know? And like figuring out the age of someone based solely on their biological state is actually like way more approximate than people think. Like, you can look at a, a, an adult and say, okay, this is an adult woman somewhere between the ages of 18 and 30. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when they say in the one report that, okay, she's somewhere between, like, 16 and 30, like, that is a, you know, it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. um, which is why, you know, everyone's relying on, on documents and birth certificates and, you know, trying to find a paper trail for this person to figure out when they actually came into existence. Um, and I'm sure it's even harder when you've got sort of these conditions of like dwarfism or other physical developmental um, roadblocks. Yeah. So it's nuts. <laughs> totally nuts. And then there's this question about like, you know, kind of like the back and forth and this statement was a lie and that statement was, you know, like, yeah. The police say that Michael said he knew that she was a child, but now the lawyer is like, nah. And there is like, why did they wait so long to question him if they knew about the abandonment? Like, why is there a... <clears throat> and what was she doing until she got picked she up by this other family? <laughs> what was she doing, man? So it's like, I don't know what to think. Like, they were charged with neglect, but was it really? Yeah. Did they adopt a six-year-old, but they couldn't deal with it? Or is she an Esther-type, mentally disturbed woman passing herself off as a child? Is it, yeah. Is it possible that that is a thing? Right. And how does the divorce figure into it? Yes, right? The divorce and the travels to Canada as well. Yeah. Like, what's that timing got to do with anything, you know? Because they divorced 
I think within a year after moving yeah. and, you know, after abandoning maybe Natalia. Yeah. So what's, what's the deal with that? Yeah. Um, this is a developing story. <laughs> it's a developing story. It's being talked about a lot on, um, you know, all the true crime hotspots, even though like, you know, a, a, a violent crime wasn't committed, but apparently some crime happened. We don't know what violence was in Natalia's wheel. Somebody, somebody somewhere lied. We don't know who it was. Right. There may have been violence. Right. Or I love the idea that like multiple people are lying. I like, like if Christine knew that Natalia was 22, but like plotted to pass her off as six, yeah. As like a yeah, that's another I, thing too. Look yeah. what I can do! I have another. I've raised another prodigy. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's an interesting then, take as well. Right, and but then like Natalia's trying to scam them, so it's like scammer meets scammer. Yeah. Battle so, of the scammers. The battle of the scammers. It's nuts. It's fucking nuts, you guys. Um, and so that article from the cut that kind of compiles everything that was released today, October 9th. Yes. So it's still ongoing. There's new information every day. I'm sure it will continue to be as people try and untangle this, this web. Somebody comes forward and says they know something. Yeah. I really want to, I really want to hear from Natalia though. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, until then though, if you are desperate for more, uh, there was a film in 2009 <laughs> that had a very eerily similar plot, um, mm -hmm. which is part of, I think, why this is getting so much press, because everyone was like, remember that creepy movie? It's back. Right. Um, so if you haven't seen Orphan and want to, to hear it before we, we dive into the plot, pause now, go watch, yeah. come back. Uh, if you have seen it or don't care if we spoil it, uh, we'll give you a rundown of what happens in this and, and you can compare and contrast how eerily similar uh, these things are. <laughs> um, but yes, Orphan 2009 um, it was a, a quadruple um, country produced film. Uh, it had funding from a couple different places. I think it was Canada, France, um, America and Germany. So it's one of those deals. What a combination. Yes. Um, but it stars Vera Farmiga. Woo! Uh, splatter chatter favorite. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Um, not to be confused with Skarsgaard. This is right. Sarsgaard. Husband of um, Gyllenhaal. Female Gyllenhaal. Maggie. Maggie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isabel Furman. Um, and two people who played those children. <laughs> the actual yeah. children. Um, oh, and CCH Pounder is the nun. Yes, CCH Pounder is the nun. Um, and also, um, Carol Roden is in this briefly as the doctor from Estonia, and he's great. He played Rasputin in Hellboy. Um, he's great. Love him, love his voice. He does a lot of, he's really big in like Eastern European films, but he's done a couple of um, Western stuff and he's great. Always, always love to see Carol Roden. Yeah. He's a good like, uh, like character actor kind of, Yeah, you know, 
he does a lot of that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff, for sure. Um, but so, we dive in to Orphan, 2009. Um, we, we meet Kate and John. Kate and John. Could not have more bland names. Um, Kate, I believe, is a former professor. Yeah, I think she's a music professor. Um, and John is an architect. Um, and they have two kids, um, a son, who's kind of a dick. And a daughter, a younger daughter, he's like 12 or 13, and then a younger daughter who is deaf and mute. Yeah. Daniel and Max. Max, yes. Um, and they live somewhere where it's, it's snowy. <sighs> I feel like they say. or They the, probably do say. I, I want to say it's New england Yes. It's somewhere chilly. It's winter. Yeah. They're living there. Um, so what we learn uh, from the beginning um, is that Kate and John um, were expecting a third child um, in a really bold opening sequence <laughs> that turns out to be, you know, like just a horrific nightmarish um, memory of what had happened. Um, we I find out. Though. Yeah. Uh, we find out uh, the child was stillborn. Um and it was a girl, um, and she was not living when she was born, and that was a huge, obviously, blow um, to Kate and John to find out that. Um, and Kate is a, um, she's going to therapy, she's a recovering alcoholic. Um, John, for, we learned some things about John later. This is a movie, I, you find out things in pieces 45 minutes after they're mentioned. <laughs> So we'll find out that John is not so squeaky clean either, but um, she's a recovering alcoholic. Um, they're trying to put their life back together. She's like sort of on sabbatical or something. Like she's not teaching at the moment. I think it is New England because I think they mentioned that she taught at Yale. Yeah, something like she was like a big deal. She yeah, wherever they she seem, taught, it was like a big deal. And they seem to come from like a sort of uppity community. Yeah, and they live in a like a huge house. Yeah. Their house. Um, so yeah, but so some time has passed since this this stillborn incident happened, and they um, decide that they're going to adopt. Um, for whatever reason, Kate either can't or doesn't want to carry another child, so they're going to adopt. Um, so they head on over to the nuns, the nun house, <laughs> um, to look at some kids and do some adoptions. Um, and while they're there, um, walk, you know, walking around, just mingling with the kids, they meet Esther, um, this young girl who is kind of singing by herself, painting or doing some sort of thing. Um, she's like hard pass. Yeah. She's just being weird off by herself. She doesn't want to play with the other kids. They think she's weird. She's got an accent. Um, the nuns say that, you know, she's a pretty gifted, but shy girl. She's picked up English really well. She's originally from Russia. Um, and the Coleman's just fall in love with her. And they're like, this is, we're going to just take her home. Mm -hmm. Um, and a couple weeks later they do. Um, and they introduce her to their kids, Daniel and Max. Uh, how do Daniel and Max react to Esther? So Max is jazzed. She mm -hmm. loves that. Uh, she has a sister now. Um, she seems especially taken because Esther easily picks up on sign language because Max is deaf. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, she 
can hear a little bit, but you know, she has cochlear implants. And there is um, there are hints of an incident that that was the reason for for Max being deaf. But she's jazzed. Daniel, eh, not so much. He is kind of like the chick's weird. She dresses weird. She talks weird. What is she, uh, we don't need this, you know. He's yeah. in like I don't know. He's like ten or eleven. So he's a like, teenage boy almost. Yeah, he's almost, he's, like, at that age. Everything's the worst. And, like, why isn't it all about me? And, and whatever. Yeah. But Esther is welcomed into the family. Grandma's there. Um, <laughs> Grandma is there. <laughs> she gets gifts, uh, painting supplies. Um, uh, she's jazzed that there's a piano. Kate offers to teach her how to play. They start bonding over that. Um uh, Kate shows her um, a very special rose bush in the greenhouse, which is um, sort of a memorial for um, Jessica, who was the stillborn baby. And uh, she seems, and Esther seems to be fitting in. And as a bonus, Kate and John seem to be getting along better and uh, becoming more intimate. We get the impression that, you know, maybe that wasn't happening as much for them beforehand, but. But things are going well um, until, uh, you know, maybe the intimacy and the good feelings uh, cloud Kate and John's judgment a bit. And Esther catches them mid-coitus in the kitchen. kitchen. What were they expecting, though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like nighttime but i feel like you just put the kids to bed just put the kids to bed also like anyone can wake up and come down for a glass of water like that would stress me out i would not be able to enjoy it because it would stress me out like oh no it's thrilling because it's dangerous and you might get caught i'm like no it's anxiety inducing because you might get caught yeah i've never found that to be particularly also have an amazing bed (laughs) your (laughs) giant ass house giant like go use it yeah so um Oh, they're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But, you know, these things happen, I guess. So the next morning, Kate uh, goes to talk to Esther and sort of give the, uh, literally, I think, is the dialogue, which the dialogue is kind of wonky in this movie, when mommies and daddies love each other a lot. Mm -hmm. And then Esther surprises Kate by saying, I know, they fuck. In her little accent. Yes, they fuck. So Kate's a little taken aback. It's not exactly the terminology or the insight into sex that one might expect from a nine-year-old. But John sort of brushes it off. Um, You know, things get said at school, blah, blah, blah. Who knows where kids pick up these things? Mm Da-da-da-da-da-da. But as we, the viewers, start to see, this is only the beginning of Esther's uh, questionable behavior Um, because uh, she's not fitting in at school. She's not fitting in with uh, Daniel. And these manifest in two very interesting ways. With Daniel, he is... uh, playing with paintball one afternoon and decides to strike a pigeon with one of his paintballs. Pigeon goes down, but doesn't die. So Esther tries to coerce Daniel into killing the pigeon. But when he's uncomfortable and upset at doing so, 
she does it herself. Yeah. And a rather gruesome display of violence in front of Daniel and Max. And at school, uh, there's a, some bitchy girl from the class who makes a really dumb Mary Had a Little Lamb joke <laughs> that gets on Esther's radar. And so at the park one day, or at the playground, park, playground, whatever, Esther sees her opportunity to get revenge and pushes this little girl from the top of the, the uh, playground tower, the top of the slide, causing the little girl to break her ankle, um, which we're later told uh, made the fall lucky because she could have easily broken her neck. Hmm. So things are escalating with Esther. Things aren't doing so well. John is less concerned, shall we say, than Kate. Kate is uh, catching these red flags. So she calls up CCH Pounder. <laughs> um, and she's like, what's going on here? So then uh, what is the nun's name? Um, Sister Abigail. Sister Abigail comes over to the house and she's like, all right, let me tell you what's up. And um, what's the deal? What does, what does she tell Kate and John? So um, she comes over and she informs them that um, Esther has a little bit of a kind of sordid history. Um, we learned at the beginning that the family that previously had her when she came over from Russia died in a fire and that she barely escaped. And we learn from Sister Abigail's investigations that the fire was ruled an arson case and the person responsible was never caught um, that children have gotten hurt at the orphanage and, you know, like there was, you know, these gruesome stories. There was a boy who, um, accidentally stabbed himself in the jaw with scissors when he fell while holding them. And, um, uh, Esther was present that people have fallen, people have gotten hurt, like bad things have happened. And Esther has always just been somewhere in the vicinity. Um, John doesn't really think much of it. Kate is like, yes, this is proof. Um, and it sort of furthers the divide between them. Um, so Sister Abigail, you know, gives them this warning and then she goes to leave. Uh, Esther had been listening um, in the living room, heard what they had said, and she courses Max in a very creepy scene. Um, mm. Basically tells her that Sister Abigail is a bad person and they, the, this bad person wants to take her away from the family. And... Um, pulls out a gun and basically talks mass max or courses her into helping her deal with this. So uh, between the two of them, as sister Abigail is leaving, they get the car to stop when max kind of just walks into the road. Um, I mean, Esther straight up pushes her. Though. Yeah, I guess she does push her. She pushes her into the road. Um, like, <gasps> um, Sister Abigail obviously freaks out and stop, goes to check on Max. As she does this, uh, uh, Esther comes up behind her, smashes her with a hammer, knocks her out. As they're dragging her off the road, um, she wakes back up and Esther just rails into her with this hammer. There's lots of blood splatter and stuff. And she pushes her into a ditch and walks away and tells um, Max, you know, they had to do this and she's not going to let anyone take her away from her family and yada, yada, yada. Max is shook as she should be. Um, Esther comes back, um, you know, and continued creepy things happen. Um, eventually the Coleman's get a call from another nun asking if they've seen sister Abigail. Cause she never reported back after her drive out to the Coleman's 
eventually the police find her body in a ditch. Um, they're obviously like, somebody murdered her, don't know who it is. Uh, Kate continues to be suspicious. <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> suspicious, as it were. As she should be. As she should be. She starts doing some research. Um, I can't, I'm not sure if it's at this point that they send Esther to the therapist. I think it is. I think well, it's around no, this point. They send, her, they send her after the flower thing, right? Is it after the flower thing? Or is it before? I think it's before the flower thing. Is it before the flower thing? I think so. Maybe you're right. Yeah, Maybe. because they have an intervention after the flower thing. So they're like, they, they want to kind of have Esther talk to somebody, you know, figure out kind of what's going on with these conflicting stories, talks of the teachers that she's not getting along with students. They send her to the therapist and she has a private session with the therapist. The therapist goes to talk to um, Kate and John about what was said. And basically she says oh, that oh, Margot Martindale is the therapist. Which... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she says, um, you know, she feels kind of distant from Kate. She feels like Kate is kind of pushing her away. Um, she doesn't feel like they're bonding, but she gets along with everyone else. And Kate is like, that's bullshit. And, you know, basically is like, this is nonsense. Um, she's talking crap, yada, yada. No one really believes Kate, um, who later does research on like antisocial personality disorder and different, um, sort of psychopathies and determines that, um, basically Esther told the therapist what the therapist wanted to hear mm -hmm. that supported her story. And she just continues to dive deeper into this, um, well of, of mistrust. Um, so at this point, they need to get, you know, Esther's medical stuff taken care of, but Esther is very reluctant to go to the dentist. And she has a dentist appointment. John goes to take her. She doesn't want to go. He says, okay, fine, we'll reschedule. And they spend the day together. Um, and what goes on? Well, they, they spend the day together. So they're hanging out, and, you know, Esther's, you know, because she loves John. She's super into John. She just... She just can't stand Kate. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, because Kate's suspicious. So John suggests that Esther, um, you know, do something nice for Kate because Esther's like, oh, mommy doesn't like me. Hmm. And so uh, Esther takes John's advice, but what she does is bring Kate a bouquet of white roses from um, Jessica's. Uh, grave sign, grave memorial. I don't know, whatever. Um, this is obviously very traumatic for Kate to have seen the rose bush cut down and destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, and so she has an instant reaction where uh, she sort of kind of lunges to get the roses, and Esther pulls them away. So Kate grabs Esther's arm. And then it's at this point that John sees what's going on and Esther starts crying. And then she runs away. And John's trying to console Kate and blah, 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 blah. And then later that night, Ugh. Esther sneaks down into John's workshop where she uh, puts her arm in one of those... What the, what the fuck like winch things? Yeah, like a winch. And winches it down until she breaks her arm. Breaks her arm to the point of the bone. 
coming out. She then pushes back in, goes back upstairs to bed, crawls under the cover, starts crying and calling for John, and says, my arm still hurts, my arm still hurts. So they go to the hospital in the middle of the night, you know, they come back. Esther's arm is broken. You know, obviously, John assumes it was because Kate grabbed her too hard. And mm-hmm. uh, Kate is like, no, I did not. There's no way I could have broken her arm just from that. But, hey, her arm is broken. So John has lets Esther sleep in their bed and Kate sleeps on the couch. Now, the next morning, uh, on the way to school... Uh, Kate drops off Daniel and Esther, uh, but some binders and books and stuff fall out of Daniel's backpack. So when Kate gets out to help him pick them up, Esther uh, releases the... Um, what she call puts it? it in neutral and takes the, yeah. the takes safety brake off. Safety brake off, puts the car in neutral. Max is still in the car. And so the car starts sliding down the hill, the road outside of school and picking up speed. And it almost crashes into oncoming cars several times. It lands in a snowbank and Max is all right, but crying and terrified. Mm -hmm. And Kate knows, she just knows that um, Esther has done this. Um. Oh, forgot to mention, the night before, when Kate is kicked out of bed, so to speak, she goes and she gets two bottles of wine. Yes. She's, she pours one out, almost all of one, into a glass, but she doesn't drink it. She maintains her sobriety, and she dumps the wine glass and the open bottle down the sink. Yeah. Now, uh, the next night... After the incident at school, Esther has apparently uh, found the wine bottle. So John has uh, the therapist come back to the house and they start, they confront Kate about her behavior and her accusations against Esther and say that she's not well. And John produces the second wine bottle that Esther has shown him and gives Kate the ultimatum that if she doesn't go to rehab within the week, he's going to leave and he's going to take the kids with him. So this is, uh, this is sort of like the major low point for Kate. She doesn't think it can get any worse, but it can because as Kate is diving further into her research and trying to find out where exactly Esther came from, Daniel is trying to find evidence that proves that Esther is behind the terrible things that have been happening. So he talks to Max and gets Max to um, admit to him that it was Esther who hurt um, CCH Pounder and that the evidence to prove it is stored in Daniel's treehouse. So Daniel goes up there to find the the hammer is up there, I believe, the bloody hammer. Hmm. Um, And... I think like Esther's sweater or whatever, but she's covered in blood. But Esther is wise to the plan. And so she traps Daniel in the treehouse after setting it on fire. Yeah. Jesus. Like a little psychopyra bitch that she is. Um, the treehouse 
goes completely up in flames. Daniel is very resourceful. You know, first he climbs out onto the roof and he's on the branches and he's hanging and he tries to get away, but it's a very chaotic and terrible situation. And he eventually falls to the ground and he's knocked unconscious, but he is still alive. And Esther approaches him to finish him off much in the same way that she finished off the pigeon from earlier. But Max tackles her and she Mm -hmm. saves her brother. Um, Clearly pisses off Esther, but at this point, Kate and Grandma have noticed the fire. Kate is out there. She's with Daniel. Daniel goes to the hospital. The family is there. We learn from the doctor that Daniel is going to be all right eventually. And, um, you know, Kate, of course, asked the question, the legitimate question, will he be able to tell us what happened? Yeah. The doctor, probably, we don't know if he might have memory loss. Now, when Esther hears that Daniel might wake up, what does she do? So um, she eventually sneaks off from the family in the waiting room, goes into Daniel's room, uh, takes off his oxygen mask, um, and takes a pillow and smothers him. Um, Like, fully smothers him. Like, he codes in in the room and she takes off. They do get him to come back um, eventually. But... um, this happens, and while this happens, Kate just, again, knows that it was Esther, and she runs out, and she screams at her and asks, what did you do? And she smacks Esther, at which point a couple of orderlies come by. They kind of tackle her, pull her away, and sedate her. Um, John takes the kids, the remaining kids who are not in the hospital, um, and goes to stay at the house um, while... Kate stays at the hospital. She's been sedated. They admit her to the hospital for, you know, attacking a child. Um, So he goes and he's, you know, exhausted and he's drinking and he's just trying to, like, nap out on the couch. And Esther comes down. (laughs) Now, um, wearing what I can only assume is, like, Kate's dress that has been hiked up or something. Um, And she, like, and she cuts... Some of it too. Yeah. So she's wearing like a sexy black dress. She's got makeup on. She's put together like a cheese plate and she sits up for John and he's like, what? Okay, cool. He's like drunk. So he's like, oh, cool. This is nice. And then she tries to seduce him. She hits on him and he's like, what the fuck? And he tells her to back off. And he's like, no, we're like, this is not happening. And it escalates. And, and he, you know, talks about sending her back to the orphanage. He's like, something's wrong. He's starting to realize, but it's too late at this point. And Esther attacks him with the knife she used to cut the cheese and kills John. Uh-huh. While this is going on, um, Kate wakes up in the hospital. She's got a phone call because um, earlier she had called. She had been rummaging through Esther's stuff, found some name of an institute, um, that she called to find out more about where Esther came from. And it turns out it was a mental institution, not a, not a, um, not an orphanage. And she sent them a picture of Esther to see if they could identify her. Dr. Uh, Russia. I don't know his name. This is Estonia. Dr. Estonia. Dr. Estonia. Um, who's played by Carl Roden. He has a real name. I don't know what it is. Uh, calls back and he says she needs to, to, to get away from Esther. She needs to get her family away from Esther that it's she is actually a 33-year-old woman named Lena who has a twi- a type of um, dwarfism that causes her to look like a child. It's a proportion dwarfism. It is a real condition. Um, 
and you know he can prove it if you look she has her the ribbon she's been wearing on her wrist and around her neck the entire movie are hiding scars from when she was in a um straight jacket and trying to break out and all this other stuff um so kate you know rips out all her ivs puts her clothes on and rushes back to the house um to confront esther uh and what happens when she gets there so she gets to the house after, you know, frantically driving through the snow and crashes in through the front door. She sees that John is dead. Um, and it's all, and it's very sad. And then there is Esther and she has given up all pretense. Her makeup's gone. She's like mad crazy at this point. Um, the, the ribbons are gone. Um, and they're, they're both sort of playing a cat and mouse game to find Max. Um, what, uh, what Kate doesn't know though, is that Esther, Lena has, uh, the gun from John's safe and she, uh, she shoots Kate while Kate's in the bathroom. Uh, She shoots her from like the lower level. The layout of their house is weird. It's ridiculous. I assume because John is an architect. Right. And so that injures her. And then Kate crawls her way onto the roof of the greenhouse where Esther has found uh, Max hiding. Um, And she goes to kill Max, to shoot Max. But Kate breaks through the glass of the greenhouse and lands on Esther, uh, seemingly incapacitating her. Um, So Kate gathers up Max and heads out into the snow uh, to go meet the police. The police have been called. She calls the police on the way. Um, this is one of those, uh, you know, horror movies that actually the characters do do the right thing. You know, the yes, yes, she did. She called the police actually before she left the hospital. Yes, saying that somebody had broken into her home. Yeah, that they had an intruder. Um, but uh, Esther was not killed or permanently incapacitated by the fall she's still alive and up and at him and she bursts you know through the night and the tackles <laughs> kate and they start struggling eventually they find themselves um uh fighting and going at each other on top of a frozen pond it's not the frozen pond from like earlier in the movie which we eventually learned oh, about. Oh, I guess today. we skipped over. Yeah, it's it. It's like the sub. There was some incident Kate where the Max child fell the through. Yeah. yeah. While Kate was drunk, which is why Max is deaf. Yeah, and John saved her. Also, we learned at one point John apparently cheated on um, Kate ten years ago, but only told her about it two years ago, ago. which right. may or may not have been linked to the start of the drinking. I don't know. Right. Yeah. We're not entirely sure of the timeline. Um, but that does create an interesting dynamic for them, I think, right? Like mm-hmm. they've both got these issues of trusting the other person. Yeah. Um, which feels very real and yeah. isn't, isn't is a nice layer for this movie, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the pond has symbolic significance, even though it's not the pond. And so this is where the final confrontation happens. Naturally, the ice breaks mm-hmm. and Kate and uh, Esther are uh, pulled under the water where they keep um, fighting in the water. The gun has been discarded in the snow. Max picks it up at one point um, 
Oh, yeah, because she shoots the gun. She's trying to shoot Esther, and that's why yeah. the ice cracks. Sorry. Yeah, she hits the ice. Yeah. Uh, Kate is the more scrappy of the two, and she's able to uh, claw her way up and onto the ice, and she's crawling out. But then here comes Esther, and she's grabbing her ankle, and she's trying to pull her back in. And then there is a straight-up copycat moment of The Ring 2 <laughs> where Esther says, Don't kill me, Mommy. And Kate responds, I'm not your fucking mommy. Kicks Esther in the face, sending her down into the depths yeah. uh, where she dies. Yes. And Kate and Max then crawl through the snow and up the hill where they are um, greeted by the police. And then the credits roll. And, that- and you thought it was just a movie. <laughs> You thought it was just a movie. But here we are. Itch. Um, but no, the movie by itself, though, I think is fairly... I think it's aged well. Um, yeah, Because I, I think agree. that um, it draws a lot of positive comparisons to the sort of, um, you know, demonic children of the 70s, the Omen, um, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, even going back to, like, The Bad Seed. Bad um, Seed, yeah. The Good Son. Yeah. Um... Like, Isabel Furman does an incredible job. She's, like, 13, I think, when she was filming this movie. Maybe even younger than that. That's crazy. Um, and she just, you know... She she's is only very... 22 now, so... Yeah. She's very, like, I don't know, uncanny. Yeah. No, she's she's excellent. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that there's... the I think if this movie suffers from anything, it's that it is very long and there's a lot that happens in it. It's very long. It's a two-hour film. Like, you don't get that normally with horror films. Yeah, it's it's pretty... It's, and especially because, like... It can take a while for things to come to a head. Yeah. You know, or, like, information to come out. Like, I don't mind that we we don't get an insane backstory on Esther. Like we get enough of one that it works. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I don't know. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a boring movie, but sometimes it's like, it is definitely a slow burn. It it shines at other times. Yeah. It's a slow burn that has some really good moments. I think if they had explored Esther's character more like this 33 year old trapped in a child's body, you know, like what does that do to a person? As opposed to just kind of writing it off as like, oh, she was insane. She was in an insane asylum and that's why she does this. Um, yeah. Would have really just, you know, made it really super interesting. Like if they had focused a little more on that and not so much on the relationship issues between Kate and John, I think I maybe would have found it a little bit more interesting at times. I mean, not that their relationship issues aren't interesting, but you could have right. gotten away with that much earlier in the film, you know, just dropping in that like, hey... This is why, you know, he doesn't trust Kate and this is why Kate doesn't trust him. And then having well, that, knowing that going forward, um, I think I think it's that the movie wanted to focus on them more than Esther. And I think I wanted to know more about what what's Esther's deal. Yeah. It's, yeah. Almost like. Like, I'm, I'm interested in both of these things, but when you're trying to make time for each of them in the same story, mm-hmm. it cannot it match up quite yeah. quite so perfectly yeah. um which is not to say that that's i don't know the fault of the actors or anything like that no you know? i just think it was they packed a lot into that script 
They um, do. They do. But I like the, yeah, I like the the dynamic of the trust on trust between Kate and John. Um, I like sort of how Kate and Esther are juxtaposed mm-hmm. um, and put in opposition of each other. Uh, you know, like that, almost like you said, like wanting to know a little bit more, okay, Esther was abandoned by a family. What, what went on there that compels her to, to yeah. attack? and con these families kate feels very abandoned by her family right yeah like that's and they do like kind of these shallow you know sort of um reasons for stuff they're like oh like she goes around pretending to be a child so she can seduce the dad and if she can't seduce the dad then she kills the family and it's like okay that's fine seduce the dad but yeah like what is that yeah Yeah, like what's the pathology behind that like is it because she's a child and can you know feels like she can literally never have a relationship because she's a child and who's going to actually like you know engage in those like you know like there's a lot there to be explored that's just kind of swept under like well she's insane and from eastern europe yeah um which is fine you know that's spooky but i think it it had the potential to be like really up there i think with a lot of those like something like the bad seed, like the omen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it does, you know, I think um, Furman's performance definitely like puts it there, but. um, Yeah, she's, she's great. And, um, you know, Vera Farmiga is very like reliable as always. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just some, some tighter writing perhaps. Some tighter writing. Yeah. There's like some cliche moments that I wish weren't there. Like, when Kate tries to uh, sneak out of the house and Esther turns on the light and she's in the chair. Oh yeah. That was ridiculous. Going she's like, where, or where are you going? Are we going to keep playing this game? I'm like, like <clears throat> plus I feel like it came too early. Cause at that point, like she was basically like full on acting like a grown up, before, right. like an hour before we or any of the characters knew. Um, yeah. So, like, some of those moments, I was like, we're bordering on cliche if we're not outright there. And yeah. I I think we could have gotten rid of some of those. But, yeah. like, but, you know, it's also, it also, like, uh, pushes some things. It's a pretty bloody, violent movie. It especially for one involving uh, children. three main children. And um, it does have a very just traumatizing opening scene about yeah. know, somebody's nightmare recollection of their stillborn child. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's weird. It's very uh, this is a very odd movie. It's it's enjoyable, mm-hmm. um, and it's like it's out there and but also like kind of bland at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. It definitely it had potential, and I think it still is pretty enjoyable. Um, yeah. But it's not quite. It could have been like the you know one of the like really interesting. Um, I think horror films of the the early two thousands and is there culturally like people still talk about orphan? Obviously, we are still yeah. talking about it, and it was like a big deal when it came out. Everyone was like, "Yo, orphans, fucking insane!" Oh, I can't even <clears throat> count. Like we, the number of times we must have said Esther. Movie came <laughs> when out. somebody does something weird, and you're like, "All right, calm down, Esther." Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, enjoyable stuff. Now apparently, not fiction. Yo, and how weird though! Like, 
how not even just that like okay someone out there was pretending to be a child and conning a family but like it was a woman mm-hmm. pretending to be a girl yeah. maybe again allegedly allegedly um from eastern europe with it, from eastern europe uh the whole thing with like the bath yeah right like that's how Christine Barnett started to get clued in. There's that whole thing in the movie where Esther wants to be alone in the bathroom and she sings like, cause she knows that'll expose her. Uh, the thing with the teeth and the yeah. dentist, not wanting to go to the dentist. Yeah. Like the aggression seemed to be focused on the mom. Like it's just like, it's, it's wild page by page. Yeah, no, it's wild. And I mean, it's, a, you know, all of it's alleged, you know, like, will we find out that, you know, this was a family who had seen the movie Orphan and then was somehow inadvertently or purposefully acting it out. Um, Is this just one of those situations where it's super coincidental, like that book about the Titanic that came out 12 years before the Titanic was even built? Um, So, fascinating stuff, kids. Pretty wild, pretty wild. And yeah, like we said, ongoing, developing stories. Yes, We'll um, tweet updates as they yeah as they yeah happen. keep your eyes peeled. We'll we'll check in again with next episode's horror headlines. Uh, wild yeah. But in the meantime, and how you can find us checking in with you, checking in with us, checking in with our horror headlines is Bad. on Twitter Splatter Chatter six 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 minus all the vowels. Or if that's too difficult, just search Splatter Chatter. We should be the first thing that pops up. Um, you can go on our Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com, newly maintained by a friend of the podcast, Miss Colleen. Yay! Who knows Tumblr a lot better than either of us. Um, you can find us on Instagram at splatterchatter666. You can find the new blog at splatter chatter.com. Uh, I believe you can find all of Mr. Kreger's old posts there. You can find his new posts. You can leave comments, explore, check out the 31 by 31 challenge. Um, as well as your review of Carrie. Oh, yes. I've got my review of Carrie. Um, some other reviews coming in coming in yes. the works. I'll send over my turn of the screw review and some other things. Um, you can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. And Mr. Gregors can tell you how you can uh, become an even better friend of the podcast. If you want to be a super friend, think about becoming a patron. Uh, our Patreon is at patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. We give you cool prizes, and you give us monthly donations. Yes. If you can't do that, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. Uh, we would love that kind of support as well. And you can follow me at at Craigers and Miss Melmoy at, at Melmoy. That's me. Uh, if you want to talk to us personally, uh, we're super open for that. Uh, we want to wish you uh, a continued awesome spooky season do let us know what you're up to do show us your cool decorations yes please. Um, when we next check in with you for episode 71 do we want to say we like confirmed right? yeah if you're good with that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we we're hinted talk, at it we're gonna talk weird fiction yes. and specifically i believe we're gonna talk lovecraftian fiction lovecraftian fiction i'm doing a deep dive kids yeah, which should be really fun, uh, a cool episode for, um, that's the, that'll be the episode, uh, the last episode before Halloween. Fitting. So that's, I think, is a really good fit. We're really excited about that. Get at us with uh, your Lovecraft thoughts. 
And until episode 71, we want to remind you to keep up the creep. For right now, we're going to say au revoir, adios, das vidan.